Amen. <clears throat> I like that. I trust that you feel the same way, that he's been faithful to you. Amen. Whether you feel that way or not, he has. Amen. And that's something sometimes if we're not careful, we can get the feeling like he's not so faithful. And I know someone says, well, I just would never feel that way. Well, maybe I hope you never do. But I think there's probably been times in some of our lives where we thought, wow, where's he at? <clears throat> what just happened? You know, and uh, but but boy, I tell you what, if we believe the word of God, if we'll just not trust our feelings, we'll just trust the facts and have faith. We'll know he's there always. He's faithful. He's faithful. Take your Bible, if you would, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 tonight, beginning in verse 1. Philippians chapter 2, <clears throat> beginning in verse 1. In that particular passage, we read, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ... If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, <clears throat> fulfill ye my joy that ye might be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I want to draw your attention to verses 4 and 5. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Again, the Apostle Paul here is writing to the Philippians. And his relationship with them was very unique. It was very special. It was intimate. And he had a relationship that permitted him to be very forthright, that gave him the authority and the right to say some things that maybe someone that wasn't as invested could not say. <clears throat> his great love for them here inspires him to exhort the people of God to look upon the things of others and not only themselves. You know, it's hard to tell somebody that they're selfish. That's not always easy. Oh, I mean, it might be easy if you don't really care how they respond. I mean, if you have no <clears throat> concern about their future, if you don't care what, how they take it, then sure, you could be like, you're just selfish. It's all about you. But to tell somebody that and truly be concerned how they'll respond to that and whether or not you can come across in a way that will inspire them to maybe reconsider their particular view of things or their outlook, I'll tell you what, that's not an easy thing to tell people. The Apostle Paul here is telling the church in some respects, listen, don't just look on your own things. Don't just get consumed with your own things. Think about the things of others as well. <clears throat> Boy, I tell you what, he brings it out and he begins to share that with them. And he does that because he cares and because he loves them. Selfishness on this one hand is a growing epidemic in our culture and society. I mean, there is little doubt that each generation is becoming somewhat or increasingly selfish and narcissistic today. Obviously, the phenomenon is not exclusive to our time, and there's no doubt that it's been indicative or part of every culture and part of every time in history. 
But it does seem like it's elevated. It does seem like it's becoming more of an issue today. Now, the fact is that the natural man, or the lost man, if you will, and also the carnal Christian, or that fleshly Christian, it's, it's, it's a fact that this tendency cuts to the heart of all of us especially if we're not right with God, especially if we have that fleshly leaning or if we're not saved. Self is a problem in our lives, and it's a problem in our world today. And as you prepare to fulfill your responsibility, you find God's purpose for your life in ministry and in serving the Lord, you're going to find that probably one of the biggest battles you're going to face is self. We can feel so busy in the ministry and so busy in the work of God, so busy in life that we become unconsciously and even at times consciously withdrawn from others. And if we're not careful, we can be found living without purpose and virtually wasting our time because all we do is spend time on self. William James said that the art of being wise is, quote, the art of knowing what to overlook. The petty and the mundane steal much of our time today. Too many are living for the wrong things. Dr. Anthony Campolo, he tells about a sociological study in which 50 people over the age of 95 were asked a question, a very simple question. The question was, if you could live your life over again, what would you do differently? We're talking about 95-year-olds. It was an open-ended question. And there were obviously a number of different responses. However, there were a couple of answers that constantly resurfaced and re-emerged. And here are three of those that continued to pop up along the way. One, if I had to do it over again, I would reflect more. Two, if I had to do it over again, I would risk more. And finally, if I had to do it over again, I would do more things that would live on after I'm dead. Now, these aren't necessarily in the order that they were given, but these are the three that continually surfaced or resurfaced out of the the mouths and the minds of these 50, 95-year-olds that were Pulled. If I had to do it over again, I'd reflect more. I'd risk more. I'd do more things that would live on after I'm dead. Now, I believe that we all want to leave a legacy. I believe we all want to believe that we have ultimately impacted and influenced others in our lives. And each of us would obviously like to look back on our life and one day even in eternity and say, I, with God's help, made a difference. What will you spend your life doing? What will you spend your life doing? In 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10, turn there if you would please, 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, 
The Bible says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. What the Bible is basically saying is that everything will be burned up one day, including the world itself. There'll be a new heaven and there'll be a new earth. In Revelation 21.1, the Bible says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more seas. So let me ask you, if that's the case, if the entire world and the heavens will be burned up, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, what will live on? Well, people will live on. Souls will live on. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Note that phrase, man became a living soul. That's important because what that's implying, what that's stating, is that man was given an eternal soul. He became eternal. He doesn't just live life, then die, and no longer have any consciousness. No, he lives on past the grave. She lives on past the grave. Life does not end with death then. Now listen, you can invest your life in a number of different ways. But there's only one investment that will live on, and that is an investment in others. Many years ago, there was a great meeting of the Salvation Army delegates, and I tell this story often, and I love it. It's a great story. And the highlight of the meeting was the final address that was to be given by William Booth, who was the general. He was the founder. He was the the director of the Salvation Army. A great man of God. All were expectant. All were excited about what he would share. What would this great man of God say? And finally, along the course of this meeting, word arrived that General Booth would be unable to attend. His health, of course, was waxing and waning. He was up in years at that time. There was a great disappointment that kind of captivated or overwhelmed the crowd. But there was some hope because they said that a special message for all the delegates had been sent for those attending. What would that message be? I mean, what stirring and challenging thing would be present, the, the, the congregation thought to themselves. And as the message was opened, and in those days they had telegraph messages, they didn't have phones in the sense, they opened up the, 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 the envelope, they slid out this, this uh, message, <clears throat> and here, as it was read before the crowd, it said, members and friends at this great convention of the Salvation Army, men and women working in the Salvation Army, on the edge of their seat, waiting for this tremendous, this inspiring message from the General William Booth, And he said, others. Closed it up. The gentleman walked off the stage. Others. That was the message that William Booth gave to all of those delegates of the Salvation Army. Others. How much of what you do is really fruitless activity? 
How much of what we do really impacts the kingdom and eternity? Now, how much of what you read or study or spend time doing, doing truly conforms you to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ and encourages you to possess the mind of Christ? I'm reading a, a, an amazing book right now about a woman by the name of Mrs. Diebler. What an amazing woman. Just as a young woman getting married to a missionary, headed over to New Guinea, and World War II takes place. And she and her husband are caught there in New Guinea. And she spends years in a camp expressing what she endured and what went on as her husband died as a result of his captivity, being separated, obviously. I mean, I'm just saying to think about what they endured and what they dealt with, how much of what we read and how much of what we study inspires us for Christian living, truly makes us better in what we do. I mean, I I joke around with a number of men or people in the church about the Cavaliers and about, you know, the Cleveland Browns, and I like sports, and that's a wonderful thing, and there's nothing wrong with having a, a love for sports, but what else do we do? Do we do anything to feed our spirits, our souls? that ultimately will help us to leave a legacy. The most important thing that you and I can spend our time doing is cultivating relationships with others and investing in the lives and futures of others. That includes our spouses, yes, our children, our friends, our family, and our converts. See, our investment in others will shape minds It'll impact our culture. It'll change our churches. It'll refocus our families. It'll revolutionize our relationships and transform our lives. Others. Others. Philippians chapter 2 verse 4 said, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That's what the Apostle Paul said. And he, of course, is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's going to take time, yes. It takes energy. It takes sacrifice. It requires investing uh, uh, in our finances. An investment in others ultimately, though, produces a return. Years ago, a man by the name of R.U. Darby had an uncle. His uncle got gold fever. And so he went west to Colorado to strike it rich. And with a pick and an axe, he dug until finally he struck gold. Excited and determined to be rich, he rushed home to tell the family about his good fortune and ultimately to raise money so he could return with the proper machinery and get the job done really right. Darby and his uncle now purchased the needed equipment and they returned to that mine. It wasn't long after they had returned and they had begun drilling and pull, that they began to pull up gold. But it was very short-lived. It didn't last very long. The vein of gold that they had begun mining, it dried up and it disappeared. So desperately they continued digging. Desperately they attempted with, to, to pick up the vein again, to somehow once again pull ore out of that particular mine to no avail, however being overwhelmed with frustration, 
disappointment, discouragement. Darby's uncle gave up. And Darby quit as well. They headed back home. Sold the mine to a junk dealer. And they just took a train back east. After purchasing that particular equipment, the junk dealer thought about all the gold that had once come out of that particular mine. And he said to himself, he said, you know, all that equipment, all the stuff that's already in place, it's here anyway, and who knows, maybe I might just strike it rich. (laughs) So he began to dig. And just three feet later, he hit one of the greatest gold veins the nation has ever seen. Darby eventually recovered from his losses. But he'd never forget the lesson that he'd learned. He was determined that he would never stop digging three feet from gold. He eventually became one of the most successful insurance salesmen of his time. He earned over a million dollars a year. One of 50 people, I believe it was, doing that at that time in the United States. He did this because he knew what it took to be successful and he was determined to never stop digging three feet from gold. See, the problem with you and I so often is that we stop digging or investing in others too soon. And we pull up our stakes and we move on to another before we've ever struck pay dirt. And we say, well, they just don't have a desire. They're just not worth the investment. I I can't waste my time. It's as though we almost want a fast food remedy for a lifetime process. We need to keep investing till we strike gold. And I want you to know that God sees gold in you. But He also wants you to find gold in others. Whether it's your husband, your wife, your child, your friend whether it's a loved one that we need to invest in, there's gold waiting to be mined. And you know, our legacy will be determined by the lives that we've influenced and impacted. See, that church member is is looking up to you. Say, nobody's looking up to me. Somebody's watching. I mean, that child wants to be like you, Dad, Mom. Your legacy may determine their life. And I can't stress the importance of a life lived for Christ enough tonight. It's impossible for us to realize how valuable it is to invest in the lives of others. Whether you believe it or not, you have a tremendous amount of influence that you possess. Use it to influence this generation for Christ. Your testimony and your personal investment in the lives of others will shape the minds and prepare the hearts of others for the very work of Christ that's needed today. We have a purpose and we have a reason for existing. We're to invest in others. The Apostle Paul said to the people there in Philippi, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Give yourselves to others. Establish a legacy, even now. 
I don't care how young you are or how old you are, you can leave a legacy. You can establish that legacy by influencing others. The Bible even says the older women are to teach the younger women. Why is it that we can't begin as an older person then to truly leave a legacy? If indeed that's the commandment God gives. Don't wait, start today. Jesus was our greatest example, was he not? I mean, he was quite comfortable in heaven before he ultimately endured the grief and sorrows that this earth and life presented to him. But he came anyway. Why? Why did Christ leave the comforts of heaven to come to earth? Others. That's why he did it. In Luke 19.10, the Bible says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I mean, I'm glad. I don't know about you. I'm glad that Jesus came. I mean, he came for me and he came for you. He came for others. Coming to earth led him to an old rugged cross. I mean, there was nothing glorious about being born in a stable. Nothing stupendous about traveling the dusty trails of Galilee. There was nothing exciting about being despised and rejected. There was nothing great about being mocked and jeered and ultimately crucified. That's what he earned. That's what he got for investing in others. And yet if we don't get a pat on the back and if we don't get a thank you, if we don't get an boy, sometimes we act as though it's not worth the investment. I'm glad Jesus Christ didn't say it depends on how they treat me whether or not I will invest in them. Instead, he gave himself to others. So that's what you get for investing in others. That's what you get for doing the good deeds. Sometimes it is the case. But there is a God in heaven watching. And he's keeping record. He came to earth anyway. He lived his life and he gave it for others. What is worth living for today? Others. Others. What's worth dying for today? Others. Isn't that really what the Christian life is all about? Others? If it's a legacy that you want to leave or desire to leave, an eternal reward that you desire, I want to encourage you to invest in the very thing that Christ himself did. And that's in others. Get to know others. You say, I'm not that kind of person. Then become that person. Die to self. Crucify the flesh. Get to know people. Step out of your comfort zone and quit being so selfish. Quit leaning on, well, that's just how I am, an introvert. No, that's called being prideful and arrogant. It's all about you now. Somebody says, oh, that that doesn't go well, preacher. I know it doesn't go well, but do you think God saved you to sit and never influence or impact a life on earth? To simply worry about whether you eat and drink and be merry? Do you think that that's all you're here for is yourself? God wants you to make an impact and and influence others. That's what the whole Christian life's about. Get out of your own little world. Step aside a moment and step into the lives of others. It does take an investment. It does cost something. Just like it cost Christ his very life 
Unfortunately, it will cost you the same. It's a reality. Someone says, well, that's why we pay you. (laughs) So you can do that. But that's not what the Apostle Paul told the church of Philippi. He says we're all to not just look on our own things, but the things of others. Get to know others. Encourage others. Teach others. Train others. You say, well, I could never do that. Then learn yourself so that you can invest in others. Just Some of you took the steps to learn how to lead someone to Christ and you're making an impact in our community now that you couldn't make before. That's what we're talking about, others. Stepping out of a comfort zone. There's nothing easy about learning something new and ultimately being tested. That's intimidating. But it's profitable because it's not about you or me. It's about others. And that's why you did it. And you're to be commended for that. Give to others. Share with others. Spend time, money, and energy on others. Lead others to Christ. Give them eternal, eternal future. Teach them the Bible. Help them apply it to their lives. Share the love of Christ. And treat others with respect. It's always about others. See, that's how you ultimately lead this world leaving things that will ultimately live on after you've died. Others are our legacy. Others, people are our legacy. God help us to invest in others by showing the love of Christ and extending the kindness of God to others. A tremendous story that I've told again a number of times that I want to share again is a story about Teddy Stollard. Teddy was turned off by school. He was a very sloppy young man in appearance. He was expressionless. He was really rather unattractive. Even his teacher, Miss Thompson, enjoyed kind of bearing down a red pen as she placed X's besides as many wrong answers, you know. It's almost like, Teddy. If only she had studied his records more carefully, though. They read first grade. Teddy shows promise with his work and attitude, but has poor home situation. In second grade, Teddy could do better. Mother seriously ill, receives little help from home. If only she would have studied his third grade record where it said, Teddy, Ted is a good boy, but too serious. He's a slow learner. His mother died this year. Fourth grade, Ted is very slow, but well-behaved. His father shows no interest whatsoever. Christmas arrived, and the children, they kind of piled their wrapped gifts on their teacher's desk. And Teddy, he brought one too, you know. He wanted to be like the rest of the kids. And so he wrapped it in brown paper and held it together with scotch tape. Mrs. Thompson opened every single gift meticulously as the children crowded around her desk. Out of Teddy's package fell a gaudy rhinestone bracelet. Half the stones were missing. And a bottle of cheap perfume. 
The children began to kind of snicker under their breath, and she silenced them by splashing some of the perfume on her wrists and going, smell it. She put the bracelet on, too. At the end of the day, after the other children had left, Teddy came by the teacher's desk and said, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mother. And the bracelet looks real pretty on you. I'm glad you like my present. And he just simply left. Miss Thompson got down on her knees that night. She asked God to forgive her and to change her attitude. The next day, the children were greeted by a Reformed teacher. I mean, they were greeted by one that was committed to loving each of them and showing them kindness and consideration, especially the slow ones, especially Teddy. Surprisingly, or, well, maybe not surprisingly, Teddy began to show great improvement. He actually caught up with most of the students in the class, even passed a few of them. Time came and went, and Miss Thompson heard nothing from Ted for a long time. Then one day, she received this note. Dear Miss Thompson, I want you to be the first to know I'll be graduating second in my class. Love, Ted. Four years later, out of nowhere, she receives another note. It says, Dear Miss Thompson, they just told me I'll be graduating first in my class. I wanted you to be first to know. The university's not been very easy, but I liked it. Love, Ted. It would be about another four years later that she received another note. Dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Stollard, M.D. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be exact. I want you to come and sit where my mother would have sit if she were alive. You're the only family I have now. Dad died last year. You know, Miss Thompson attended that wedding. And she sat right where Teddy's mother would have sat. The love, compassion, and kindness that she had shown to that young child, that young man at the time, and entitled her to that privilege. She had showed him something that he had not received. She had given him something that others hadn't. She had invested And that investment changed the life and future of that little boy. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. 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 See, our investment in others will shape minds. It will impact our culture. It will change our churches. It will refocus our families, revolutionize our relationships, and transform our lives. Others. In conclusion, may God help us to learn today what took those senior citizens 95 or more years to learn. Remember they said, if I had to do it over again, I do more things that would live on after I'm dead. How can you and I do that? The Bible makes it perfectly clear. Others.
hold on now. You may be thinking to yourself saying, I have a lifetime to invest in others. Right now, it's about me. I mean, I've busted through school. I've had to focus my attention on this and that. I'm going to focus on me a little bit. I mean, I've had to work hard to provide for a family. I've had to do this and do that. It seems I have no time to myself. I need to invest in myself. Who has time for others? I'll do that later. Some years ago, on a Friday afternoon, the future like the sun was bright for a group of students traveling to another service. The Crown College tour group, Aaron, 21 years of age, Darcy Brown, 22, Brad Askew, 22, David Childers, 21, and Jonathan Pickerton were 18 years of age, were traveling to the southwest, excuse me, the southeast singing and ministering. They were holding meetings and working with young people and helping churches in whatever capacity or wherever the need may be. Each of the group was extremely talented. These weren't just your run-of-the-mill young people. They truly were talented in singing and playing instruments, and they were sharp young men and young ladies. Each of them had dreams and aspirations to ultimately one day serve the master in the ministry. They didn't want to be professionals in the sense of making millions of dollars. They just simply wanted to serve God. Young people that had a heart for Jesus Christ. But all of a sudden, without notice, the unthinkable happened. While headed west on State Route 60, an eastbound truck blew a tire and crossed the median, hitting their Ford Econoline van head-on. The collision caused the vehicle to just simply burst into flames. It incinerated everything and everyone in the vehicle. In the blink of an eye, life for those young men and that young lady was over, and heaven became a reality. See, I'm not sure, excuse me, I'm sure that not one of those young men and that young lady ever thought when they woke up that morning that this would be the last day of our life. They had thought that they had a lifetime, I'm sure, to serve the Master and to leave a legacy. I'm sure they thought they had next week and next month, next year, and even the next decade or two at least. But their legacy was complete on that fateful afternoon. Fortunately, they had invested their lives in others before that day. Thankfully, they had spent time encouraging others in the Lord, influencing others for Christ, and impacting their world on behalf of God. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Who can you invest in that will carry on your legacy long after you're gone? Too often, if we're not careful, we somehow begin to shrink our thinking to our own. All of a sudden, it's about my kids, my family. But what about others? I mean, do you want to leave a legacy when you die? 
Do you want to be remembered as one that impacted and influenced others? Others. C.T. Studd, I close with this poem. But he wrote a very thought-provoking poem. It goes like this. Two little lines I heard one day Traveling along life's busy way Bringing conviction to my heart And from my mind would not depart Only one life twill soon be passed Only what's done for Christ will last Only one life, yes, only one Soon will its fleeting hours be done Then in that day my Lord to meet And stand before His judgment seat Only one life twill soon be passed Only what's done for Christ will last Only one life, the still, small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in His will. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Those senior citizens, 95 years of age, what would you do differently? If you had to do it over again, I would do more things that would live on after I'm dead. What does that mean? From that old book we call the Bible, the Word of God? Others. Others. Father, we come to you.